0: Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast, a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Each episode is taken from a chapel message given here at Emmaus. For more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. It is an honor to be able to share the word today. I know I'm usually kind of introducing the speaker, so it's an honor to be able to be the one sharing today. And so before I do, I'd like to pray one more time and then we'll dig right on in, Okay. Father, we thank you for your word um, that is inspired by your spirit and given for our edification and our growing knowledge of you. And I pray that that would be the case today, and that you would teach me what to say and how to say it, and that you would show us all how to respond for our good and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Dean mentioned, just recently got married, and my wife Rachel and I are just getting used to settling in here at Dubuque adjusting to a new life together as a married couple, adjusting to a new job, new city, new apartment, seeking a new church home, everything is new. And to be honest, all that newness can be difficult. We're glad to be here, but change, as we all know, can be hard. And in many areas, we've had to seek God's wisdom and guidance because in many ways, we have no idea what we're doing because of the newness of everything. But amidst the discomfort that can come from change. It has often led us to think back on prior times in our lives when our worlds were shaken, maybe because of a move, maybe because of health, a new job or a new school. And between the two of us, we could go on and on in the ways that the Lord has shown himself to be faithful in our lives. And looking back on those restorations in the past has led us to ask for restoration again. But to be honest, sometimes I personally struggle to look back and remember that it was God who did this or did that. That it was God who brought different relationships into my life when I entered a new city. It was God that led me to that church family. It was God who helped me find that that school or that job. Now, when I do think back on these memories, it, it brings, or at least it should bring me joy. Because as one commentator put it, when specifically talking about our psalm today, That joy remembered helps lead to joy anticipated. And so with that in mind, let's dive into our psalm today. And as we do that, I want to highlight a few facts, and that is that we're we're looking at a psalm of lament. That, again, it's reflecting on a prior moment of God's restoration, leading them to ask God to restore again. Because apparently, things are not as they should be. Now, not only is this a psalm of lament, it's also a psalm of ascent. You maybe see that marking in your Bibles, and that is when the Israelites, usually on a pilgrimage, would ascend up to Jerusalem, usually maybe for one of the feasts like Passover or Pentecost, and then they would elevate also to the temple at the pinnacle of this elevated city where the presence of God dwelt among the Jews. Now, I understand we are not ascending to a physical structure today, but that temple structure represented the presence of God among the Jews. And for those of us who are in Christ, he dwells, he tabernacles among us, in us, and we can come before him at any time and in any place. Now, keeping that in mind, the fact that it's a psalm of lament, a psalm of ascent, will help us to get at what the psalmist would have us to respond here today in 2022. Now, not to get Too technical, but to give you guys some kind of rings of the ladder to hold on to as we work our way up the psalm. The psalm was broken into two parts, and pretty evidently, verses one through three, and then four through six. Verse one begins a reflection on the part of the psalmist on the prior work of God, and then verse four begins a petition for God to move again and provide for their present and future as He had for their past. For how we reflect, on our past, has great implications for how we look forward to his future work, which in turn influences our testimony to the world at present. And so that's what I want us to do today, to reflect in worship on God's prior work, having confidence in his future work, and in the present, worship with confidence and testify to the world of the greatness of our God. So please reread with me those first three verses again in 126. It says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Now, again, I want you to, to notice the, the tense of that first verb in verse 1 restored. It's in the past tense, right? And I draw your attention to this now because in verse 4 we're going to see that exact same verb used in a petition. You see, what work of God they are reflecting on here was magnificent. We're not exactly sure what it might be. Many think, myself included, they might be reflecting back when the exiles from Israel returned after the edict of Cyrus of Persia that allowed the Israelites to return to their land. Now, It doesn't really matter exactly what it is, but whatever it was, it was an example of restoration that found its source in God. And it was so magnificent, it says that it was like a dream. Have you ever had a moment in your life where God showed his hand in such a way that you couldn't believe what was happening? Maybe it was at your conversion Maybe it was during a time when he provided for you. Maybe, maybe you weren't sure where money was going to come for next semester's tuition, but it came. Maybe it was a hard season of life and God provided the, the right person with the right words at just the right time. You see, let's not just see these things as happening by chance or God being distant. Let us give him the praise that he deserves because nothing, nothing in us merits his mercy or grace that he so consistently lavishes upon us. And that's what we see in verse 2, because look, look at how the people respond. They they can't help themselves but respond in laughter and shouts of joy. Now, we've all been there. There, There's something just so exciting that happens that we just can't contain ourselves. You know, maybe it's at a sporting event when the, the buzzer beater goes in. Maybe it's at a wedding when one of your best friends marries the love of their life. Maybe it's when that loved one that you've been praying for for years that they would surrender to Christ, and they finally do, and you just gotta let it out. C.S. Lewis said that we praise what we enjoy because the delight is incomplete until it's expressed in praise. And so let me ask us: Is, is your delight complete this morning? Now, oh, I struggle with this too, as well. I struggle to give God the credit he is due for what he is doing in me and around me. I often struggle to see him as good or even wanting to do good in my life. Sometimes I just associate him with all that is hard, difficult, and disappointing. Sometimes I'll give him credit for all that I don't like in my life, and whatever I do, I'll take the credit for that. But God is sovereign over all. Now, yes, he allows that which is difficult in our lives, but he doesn't do so aimlessly or because he dislikes you. In his word, he says he disciplines those he loves and that every good and perfect gift, even the hard ones, are from above. Christ himself said when talking to his followers about abiding in him in John 15, that these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete praise is evidence of that completeness. Now, watch what happens at the end of verse 2. The praise of the Israelites is so infectious, and the work that God is doing among them is so grand that even the Gentiles pick up the chant, the Lord has done great things for them. You see, the Israelites, they're not seeking to draw attention to themselves in their exuberance, but to the object of their worship. And others start to join them as their attention is drawn to the glory of God. So let me ask you something else. If you were the only reflection of God in the life of someone, if your life was the only testimony to the character of God, what would that individual think of God? Would they see a distant, angry, or demanding God? Or would they see a God who is slow to anger an abounding and abounding in steadfast love, full of mercy and grace, who delights in you as you delight in him? So when you love someone deeply, you want others to meet and enjoy that person as well. When my wife and I were finally in Dubuque, I wanted to introduce her to as many people as I could because everyone is better off knowing Rachel. Right? Yeah. It's true. You see, part of the purpose of our praise is to draw others' attention to the one that we adore, to the object of our praise. But if we don't enjoy God, we we won't want to praise him. And if we're not praising him, we won't want to tell others about him either. Now, verse 3, it continues, The Lord has done great things. And again, we, we don't know exactly what they might be reflecting on. But we do know that we can join in this shout of joy because we too can reflect on the great things he has done in our lives. Now, I know Christmas is over. And we're back at school. But there's a great reason that we put such emphasis on remembering the incarnation of our Savior and forbid that we should only reflect and rejoice in this from the day after Thanksgiving until New Year's. You see, the Israelites, for good reason, they had numerous festivals throughout the year, that would remind them of God's prior work. There was a reason God had them remember the Sabbath. There's a reason he had them remember the Passover and feast the first fruits, weeks, trumpets, booze, the Day of Atonement. Because God knows that we as humans are quick to forget. Do you remember the Israelites in the wilderness after they left Egypt? They had seen God do all of these miraculous things, but after a little time in the desert, you remember Remember what they started asking for? Let's go back. Let's go back to Egypt. And there's a lesson for us to learn in that. And so I encourage each of us, set specific times to reflect and rejoice. You know, whether it's at dinner, and you just take a few moments to reflect on how God had shown himself faithful during that day. Maybe one day a week, you just take an extended period of time to see how has God shown himself faithful this week. I challenge you once a month. Maybe take a day or a weekend. Maybe take some time to get off campus for a little bit and just write down the ways that the Lord restored. Develop a rhythm of reflection. For our God has done great things. Reflect in worship on God's prior work. Now remember how I drew your attention to restored being that past tense verb in verse 1. Well, now as we move forward into verse 4, that again, that same verb is used in a request form, in a prayer to God. The same one who restored us then is the one that we seek to restore us now. But notice that the reflection, it, it doesn't serve to create some type of nostalgic attitude of, you know, why can't things you know, be the way they were before? You know, in Ecclesiastes 7, it says, Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. But this prayer in Psalm 126, it's not that kind of statement. This is a kind of holy reflection that serves as a testament of God's redeeming work in the past and as a testament of hope that he will do so again. Have confidence in God's future work. Now, notice also, in this second section, the, the emphasis on kind of the agricultural imagery going on. This is a very agrarian society. It was full of, of farmers, and even those who weren't farmers would kind of understand what the writer is trying to do with some of the images. They would understand the specific locations that he mentions. For example, the, the Negev that it talks about in verse 4 was this arid desert-like region in southern Judah. But during the rainy seasons, You would see life come. You'd see these dry pool beds just overflowing with a torrent of rushing water. A place that was normally dry and desolate now had life. It's an image of restoration. Think of a restored land, even a a restored Eden. You see, the writers in Scripture, God in His Spirit constructed these 66 books. I often would tell my youth when I was a youth pastor, that it's 66 books, but it's one story. And it's a story of restoration. And it's bookended by two gardens. We have the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve walk with God in peace until they are mercifully put out of the garden because of sin. And it concludes with a garden restored at the end of Revelation, where, again, God's people dwell with him in peace. But you know what? There's even a third garden that I like to remember in the middle. The Garden of Gethsemane, where Christ prayed, If it be possible, let this cup of your wrath, Father, pass from me. But not my will, but thy will be done, Father. And because there was no other way for us to be restored, and because of his love for us and for his Father, he takes the cup we deserved, in order that we might receive the inheritance he deserved. Because of what we received in the middle garden, we can be rescued from what happened in the first and brought into that last garden. Do you remember, after the resurrection of Christ, when Mary Magdalene went to the empty tomb and she comes out, and you know, she sees that the tomb's empty, and she looks out, and she sees someone, and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. But remember who she thought he, he was? He thought he was the gardener. The one who came to restore the garden. Now, I believe there's great intentionality with a lot of the imagery in Scripture, and there can be the temptation to go too far with some of that. I, I get that. But you do see, especially in the Old Testament, life coming forth, where previously there was no life, like streams in the Negev. And even here in Psalm 126, we are seeing God's people asking their life-giving God to again bring life where there was death. And we pick up that cry today. Take hope in the garden to come and rejoice in those glimpses that he gives in the present when streams spring up in deserts. Because until that garden is restored, as we see in Revelation, there is much toil in the meantime. Look with me again at verses 5 through 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Do we have any farmers in here? Anybody that grew up on a farm? All right, God bless y'all. Y'all are the hardest working people on this planet. Farming is hard work, hence the the tears at the start of verse 5. But it's not an aimless sowing taking place here, and there is a promised fruit that awaits. And you know, it reminds me of one of my favorite sayings of of Jesus in John 16, when he, he told his disciples, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Emmaus, this semester you will have trouble. You will sow in tears, but take heart. You will reap shouts of joy because your Savior has overcome, and so can you in him. Now, in that, I'm not saying that this semester is going to breeze or that you're even going to pass all your classes or that you'll win every game. But we can go about our present semester with joy because we are overcomers in Christ. And it is that joy that serves as a testimony to the world that is desperately in need of hope. And that overcoming stems from the truth that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, not even the hardships that are going to come with this semester. So work hard, study hard, but don't don't just beat yourself up for a grade. There is so much more at stake than that. You have the opportunity to sow seeds that produce fruit for a lifetime. You will learn disciplines that you will take with you from here. You will impact and minister to your peers and classmates. You will reach the lost. But keep sowing, for one day you will reap with shouts of joy. The construction of the Hebrew in in these verses, it, it gives the sense of one who continually goes out to sow. Just like a farmer, daily goes out to tend his property. But most days, I bet the farmer doesn't necessarily see a lot of noticeable fruit. But they keep going out. And I promise you, you will go out many days and wonder, what's the point? Is this doing anything? Keep sowing. Your Father who is in heaven sees you and will honor the sowing that is done in his name. Now, verse 6 is very similar to 5, as again, it talks about one going out, bearing the seed of faithful obedience, knowing that one day God will bring them home with shouts of joy. You know, sometimes God does let us see glimpses of that fruit. Sometimes it does happen all of a sudden, like a garden blossoming in a desert after the rain. Sometimes it's long and arduous, like a semester that lasts from January until May. Sometimes, he doesn't let us see the fruit, the side of heaven. And that's okay, too. But keep showing up. Keep sowing. You all will find yourselves in difficult seasons where he may have you in difficult places around difficult people. Perhaps with a lack of health, with a lack of funds. But keep going out to the places he would have you go and sow. You will one day return home with shouts of joy, carrying the sheaves of your hard work with you. And so in the present, worship with confidence and keep sowing. Keep testifying to the world of the greatness of our God. And so again, in response today, I challenge you. Think back. Remember a time when the Lord worked in such a way that it was like a dream. And you may say, you know, Brooks, I don't have any memories like that. The first thing I would say is that if you know Jesus, you have a miracle story right there. Maybe maybe you were really young and can't remember when that all started. And I encourage you, call somebody up who is old enough to remember and hear it from their point of view. If you need some other examples, go to this book. I know maybe you weren't there physically, but our God has done great things and they're testified in here. And he seeks to do a great thing in your life as well. Remember, when the Lord restored our fortunes and asked him to do so again. Would you pray with me? Father, we don't know, again, exactly maybe what they were reflecting on. But Lord, Lord our tongue was filled with laughter and shouts of joy. And to be honest, Lord, in this life, it can be hard to feel that way. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to fight for joy, that you'd help us to develop rhythms of reflection, reflection on how you have restored, that it might lead to prayers to ask you to restore again. And, Lord, may we continue to go out, sowing the seed that you would have us to sow, trusting that you will continually work your energy within us for our good and your glory. Bless these students now as they continue into the rest of their day and into this weekend. Protect us and bring to mind, bring to mind throughout our days your goodness and your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Chapel Messages podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit Emmaus.edu slash partner.